0: The fundamental question for every person in life is simply this, who will be king? That's the one question. The fundamental question of all questions in our life is simply that one, who will be king? It's just that plain, simple. It's that straightforward. It's not complicated. That's the issue, that's the question that is before each and every one of us. And for each of us, how we answer that question is the one determining factor for time and eternity in your life. Just that one question, who will be king? And your answer to that question will determine for time and eternity what happens to your life. Nebuchadnezzar was king of Babylon. Babylon was the primary world power of that time, Nebuchadnezzar was the most powerful man in the world. His kingdom grew exponentially. He lost no battles. His battles were never defensive, they were all offensive, taking more territory. His reign included the construction of the hanging garden of Babylon which is one of the seven wonders of the ancient world right up there with the pyramid and the sphinx and all of that all seems to be going well in his life by the time we reach Daniel chapter 4 and then God gives Nebuchadnezzar a vision a dream in the night that disturbed him immensely and so I want us to look at Daniel chapter 4 this morning and we're going to recognize this one fact about God through this chapter and this is simply this, this statement. He rules the world. And so if we're looking at the first 18 verses, and, and I know um, Nebuchadnezzar, when he received these visions, his knees would quake, and he would uh, be greatly disturbed and in, uh, and have a period of anxiety. And I know when you think about me preaching through 37 verses, you feel the same way. But trust me, we, we won't get every word. We're taking snapshots, if you will, out of each chapter, and taking a look at it, and um, so this is how, how it works, okay? So first of all, in verses 1 through 18, you have the vision of the potentate, the king, his vision. So let's look at those first 18 verses. King Nebuchadnezzar, to all the peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. It has seemed good to me to show the signs and wonders that the Most High God has done for me. How great are his signs, how mighty his wonders, his kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and his dominion endures from generation to generation. And so that's Nebuchadnezzar now, and so he's going to have flashback, he's going to tell you how he has come to this conclusion. I, Nebuchadnezzar, in verse 4, I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at ease in my house and prospering in my palace. I saw a dream that made me afraid. As I lay in bed, the fancies and the visions of my head alarmed me. So I made a decree that all the wise men of Babylon should be brought before me, that they might make known to me the interpretation of the dream. Then the magicians, the enchanters, the Chaldeans, and the astrologers came in and told, and I told them the dream, but they could not make known to me its interpretation. At last, Daniel came in before me. He who was named Belteshazzar after the name of my God, and in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. And I told him the dream, saying, O Belteshazzar, chief of the magicians, because I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in you, and that no mystery is too difficult for you. Tell me the visions of my dream that I saw and their interpretation." The visions of my head as I lay in bed were these. I saw and behold a tree in the midst of the earth and its height was great. The tree grew and became strong and its top reached to heaven. And it was visible to the end of the whole earth. Its leaves were beautiful and its fruit abundant. And in it was food for all. The beasts of the field found shade under it. And the birds of the heavens lived in its branches. And all flesh was fed from it. I saw in the visions of my head as I lay in bed, and behold, a watcher, a holy one, came down from heaven. He proclaimed aloud and said thus, "'Chop down the tree and lop off its branches, strip off its leaves and scatter its fruit. Let the beasts flee from under it and the birds from its branches.'" Believe the stump of its roots in the earth, bound with the band of iron and bronze amid the tender grass of the field. Let him be wet with the dew of heaven. Let his portion be with the beasts in the grass of the earth. Let his mind be changed from a man's, and let a beast's mind be given to him, and let seven periods of time pass over him. The sentence is by the decree of the watchers, the decision by the word of the holy ones, to the end that the living may know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will and sets over it the lowliest of men. This dream I, King Nebuchadnezzar, saw, and you, O Belteshazzar, tell me the interpretation, because all the wise men of my kingdom are not able to make known to me the interpretation, but you are able, for the spirit of the holy gods is in you. Now then, without uh, appearing to overstep my bounds and to stray for just a second from the explanation of this scripture, from time to time in my ministry, some young man will sense that God is calling him to the gospel ministry. And if that is you or you are already in the gospel ministry, let me give you a word of advice that you need to take to heart. Learn how to read the Scripture publicly. If you have to stand before a mirror and do it, do not ever read the Scripture publicly and aloud as if it is boring or as if perhaps it's the first time you've ever seen it when you stand to preach. God's word is to be honored by being read well. And so, young men, I would just say to you, start practicing. And just get in there and do it. We uh, sing songs and all kinds of other things and memorize crazy stuff. I was uh, in seminary as a young man and the preaching professor was one of the known terrors of the world. And one of my friends got up to do a practice sermon. We had to prepare a sermon and preach it before the other preachers, right? So he gets up to preach, and so he starts his sermon. And Dr. Height stops him and says, Dear brother, I have a question for you. And the rest of us are just kind of flinching. He said, Have you read aloud that passage of Scripture at least 15 times? and he said no sir I did not he said then sit down you have no right to stand before anybody see in our day and time I feel that people are going into the gospel ministry and they're too worried about being groovy cool and have a presentation with lights and smoke and other things and the word of God is primary it's the word of God that changes lives it's the word of God that's to be preached it's the word of God that's to be obeyed And so, gentlemen, if you are going to preach, learn to read it and read it well. doesn't mean you never make a mistake when you read. It's not that. But read it well. Read it with confidence. It's to be presented that way. It's more important than the Gettysburg Address. So the vision, his announcement of the purpose of relaying this vision to the world... And verses one through three is Nebuchadnezzar giving his announcement of purpose. And he says there that the reason that he's going to do this is that he may show, to show, to that the you see in, in verse 2, to show. It's a prepositional phrase, but it's a it's a phrase of purpose. In order to show. The signs and wonders that the Most High God has done for me. So Nebuchadnezzar now is is wanting to tell the world, this is his testimony. This is where I was. This is what happened. This is how I was. This is what God did. And this is how I am now. And so it's just an outline of a testimony. And he said, here's his purpose. It seemed good to me to show the signs and wonders that the Most High God has done for me. Now, this vision... Happened probably in the 33rd, 34th year of the 43-year reign of Nebuchadnezzar. It's most likely that there are about 30 years between chapter 3 and chapter 4 of the book of Daniel. About 30 years or so. And after this experience of this dream and the events that occur with it, Nebuchadnezzar has decided he's going to tell the world what God has done in his life. Now, Daniel here would probably be about 50 years old by now. When the events of chapter 3 happened, Daniel would have been about 20 perhaps. And so Daniel's about 50 years old now. And so Nebuchadnezzar decides he's going to declare this to the world. And I don't think, if, if my memory serves me well enough, I, I do not believe there's another chapter, there is any other chapter in the Bible, like this one, in which we have a non-Jewish person, giving his complete personal testimony for a whole chapter of the Bible. So this this chapter is unique in that way. And so here's a a lengthy testimony of a non-Jewish king and his encounter with Yahweh God, a man who's a pagan, a man who's a polytheist. And so he has exalted himself to the place of deity on earth, The one representative of all the gods that he worships. They're all kind of combined in Nebuchadnezzar and his power. And so the vision of the potentate. Nebuchadnezzar would have considered himself one of Marvel's eternals. His alarm because of his vision... It says in, in these verses, as we look through them, he tells that these when he was thinking about this vision, he was at ease in his house, prosperity, and so on. And then in verse 5, he said, when I woke up from this thing and I was thinking about it, it alarmed me. The visions of my head alarmed me, he said. And so his alarm of the vision, he was highly troubled. He was disturbed by this. Now, why was God disturbing him? And we'll see that in a moment. If you ever notice that most of the time in the Bible when somebody has a dream, it's just a disturbing thing. There's not much of a, this is what I'll do. We have the Apostle Paul and a few others, but most of the time it's a disturbing thing. Now the magicians, the quote magicians of the king's court, could not interpret the dream. Now we know that Daniel was lumped into that group because he had been trained in all of that information just like those of you that are going to a secular state university you're being trained in all the stupidity of the pagan world it doesn't mean you're one of them it just means you know what they know and so and just remember this you know some of you are worried to death about well I don't want to send my kid to state university and and that's a family decision but, but I want to help you to understand something. If your kid is truly born again. Going to a state university doesn't cause them to be unborn again. It will prove their faith. If it's real or not. Now I'm not saying you should do that. But they're going to have to prove it sometime. At some point they're going to have to prove. Who is on the Lord's side? Then <laughs> let him come to me. So they're going to have to prove it at some point. They're going to have to encounter the knowledge of humanists that have totally X'd out God from their lives. They're going to have to encounter that. I'm all for Christian education. I think it's a, a great thing. As far as you want your kids to go with that, that's that's okay. Uh, I'm not condemning anybody. I'm not making a rule. But I'm saying people like Daniel have endured it. And we look at Daniel here that there is some sense in which he's separate from the rest of them. Because the Bible says... That, he caught, that Nebuchadnezzar called all of these people in and told them all to come. And Daniel evidently didn't come with the rest of the group. Because in verse 8 it says, at last Daniel came in before me. Either that or Daniel decided just to hang back to the back of the line. Let, let the crazies go first and then I'll come in. And so, I, I, you know, I don't know how this worked. But Daniel, in some sense, was always separate from these people. They're always trying to tell on him. They're always trying to get him in trouble. They're always trying to get him executed. So, in some sense, they knew he was different. He didn't buy all of it. He heard it. He learned it. He took the test. He passed it. But it didn't mean it was him. And so here we have uh, the, the Nebuchadnezzar is so highly disturbed. And, and Nebuchadnezzar says something about Daniel. He says about him in verse 8, In whom is the spirit of the holy gods? He says that about Daniel. Now Nebuchadnezzar is, is talking about this back then, right? When the dream happened. And so here he's recounting, This is what I said and this is what I thought. The king recognized that the spirit of the holy gods was in Daniel. But Nebuchadnezzar was uninformed about something. He was uninformed about the indwelling of the Spirit of God in Daniel. Yes, ladies and gentlemen. The Holy Spirit of God didn't start just indwelling people at Pentecost. He empowered the church. He's always indwelled those who believed him. Always. And Daniel being indwelled by the Spirit of God. Daniel was not mistaken about who was living in him. He was not thinking he was haunted by this plethora of ghosts. That were controlling his life. It was the very life of God in his soul. And it was in this way that he had this mysterious understanding. Because the Holy Spirit lived in him. But let's ask ourselves a question About this vision that Nebuchadnezzar had. It disturbed him. It alarmed him. It even disturbed Daniel when Daniel heard it. What would it take right now for God to get your attention? What what would it take for God to get your attention so acutely that you couldn't sleep? That you walked the floors? That you wrung your hands over this very fact—that you are at war with God over who will be king. What would it take? What does He need to do in order for you to stop and to consider who it is that rules over all things and who it is that rightfully deserves to rule over you? What would it take? Well. Nebuchadnezzar has this dream. Now he's had dreams before sent by God. God has been gracious to him. God has done things in Nebuchadnezzar's life that he may not do in other people's lives. But he's been good to him in in this way. And so now we have 30 years after the previous dream. Here's another one. And it disturbs him. Now next we have after the vision is told us here, the interpretation comes by the prophet Daniel. And so in verse 19, look, then Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, was dismayed for a while. And his thoughts alarmed him. The king answered and said, Belteshazzar, let not the dream or the interpretation alarm you. Well, it's easy for Nebuchadnezzar to say, right? Daniel's probably thinking he's going to chop my head off. Belteshazzar answered and said, My Lord, may the dream be for those who hate you. And it's interpretation for your enemies. The tree you saw which grew and became strong. So that it is its top reached to heaven. And it was visible to the end of the whole earth. Whose leaves were beautiful and its fruit abundant. And in which was food for all. Under which beasts of the field found shade. And in whose branches the birds of the heavens lived. It is you, O king. Who have grown and become strong. As it was commanded to leave the stump of the roots of the tree, your kingdom shall be confirmed for you from the time that you know that heaven rules. Therefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness and your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed that there may perhaps be a lengthening of your prosperity. The interpretation by the prophet. So the person in the dream. Daniel says very clearly. You saw this large tree. Here's the person. Here's what it represents. It is you, O king. Even Daniel's alarmed by this dream. Nebuchadnezzar had been warned by God through miracles. He had been warned by the prophet Daniel. Yet he persisted in his arrogance and pride. Ruling his own life, his own way, while merely acknowledging God, but never surrendering to him. We have a lot of that in America. People acknowledging God, but refusing to surrender their life to him. The one is a proclamation of respect. God is real. We believe God. God and country and all of those things. But the surrender, the bowing of the knee and the heart to him as king is a personal matter. And it's easy to go along with the group. And say God bless America and sing it loud. But the question of all questions is this. Are you willing to surrender your life and bless God? And most people in America say no I will not. They're like Nebuchadnezzar. If God is useful... Their faith is utilitarian. I'll use God. Pray to Him when one of my loved ones gets sick. When my job's on the line. I'll pray to Him in those situations. Or when I've had an accident on the road, I'll pray to Him then. As He is useful to me, I will use God. But when He gets in the way of what I want to do, I don't want to have anything to do with Him. That's pretty much the theology of America. And it's the theology of Nebuchadnezzar, a pagan king. And so he persisted in arrogance. He persisted in pride. He persisted in ruling his own life his own way. Acknowledge God, maybe to keep God at bay, but never allow God to get a hold of his heart and his affections and his mind and his will. The purpose of the dream. There's a purpose in this dream. And this being is called a watcher. We would probably understand this being to be one of the angels. But an angel evidently, a messenger of God of some sort, comes to him in this dream. And this messenger tells him what is the purpose of this dream. And he he says to him that the dream is for this purpose. It's so that you... It will, this is going to happen to you too. You know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. And so verse 25 tells us this is the purpose. This is the whole point here. Nebuchadnezzar thinks he rules the world by his own ingenuity, by his own charisma, by his own intelligence, by his own power, and by his political group that help him stay in power. He thinks... He has made the world. He thinks perhaps the world's made for him even. And so now he has declared himself by setting up a statue in the middle of the plain of Dura, a statue that's to remind everybody else that this God you must worship, guess who's created this God? Nebuchadnezzar has created God. And so the God of Babylon is in the image of Nebuchadnezzar. So to worship the God of Babylon is to worship Nebuchadnezzar. And what he needs to understand is that these things in this dream are going to happen to him for seven years. Until he knows that the Most High rules the kingdom of men And gives it to whom he will. That's the purpose of the dream. The purpose of the dream. The fulfilling of this dream. Is designed to cause Nebuchadnezzar. To recognize that Yahweh God. By his providential work in the world. And based upon his sovereign decree. He alone chooses who will rule a nation. God chooses. Does God use secondary causes? Of course he does. He uses people going to the voting booth. But is God not able to align circumstances in such a way that it would cause a certain group of people to vote and a certain group of people not to vote? Of course He can. And God is so intricate in His providence that He works in the individual lives of people. So that even though they are lost and do not know Christ, He turns their heart in such a way so that the outcome of every election will be just exactly what God wanted. I want to let you know something right now. God has never lost an election. The Joe Biden got elected is not God losing. Do you understand that? Dear God in heaven help us. God is in control. God does not rule in response to man. Man responds to the decree of God that is eternal. It will not change. I am the Lord. I do not change, he says. Now we may not like his providential work. Nebuchadnezzar didn't. But it was clear that it was God Who had set him on the throne. And it is God who can jerk him off of it. It's God. Perhaps. Have you ever thought about this then? We get our theology aligned correctly. That God is more concerned about the kingdom that is his. Than the kingdom of this world. And perhaps the last election in the United States of America was designed. To cause God's people to evaluate where our trust really lies. Does it lie in the hands of those in Washington, D.C.? Or does it lie in the hands of the one who was nailed to the tree? Where does your confidence lie? Upon whom have you cast your trust? For the events of this world. Perhaps it was designed to make us evaluate. Whether we love this nation first. Or his kingdom first. Because I would remind you that our king said. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. And his righteousness. That is the priority. See when you joined Jesus. Your allegiance to his kingdom made all other allegiances seem as if they are hate. Do you understand that? Perhaps it was designed to teach Donald Trump that no matter how much money a man has, it is the Most High God who rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom He will. We do not know all the reasons that God does what He does, but we do know this, He is going to make sure that he is glorified and that he is honored and that he is trusted and he will not share that glory with anyone now the plea because of the dream what's the response Daniel in verse 27 gives the king an invitation and he says to the king let my counsel be acceptable to you in light of of this dream. Now Daniel's interpreting the dream. This stuff hasn't happened yet. To Nebuchadnezzar as far as this dream is concerned. Now Nebuchadnezzar in giving his testimony. He's already been through this. You understand that. He's reflecting back. But at this point in the story. Him telling the story. He's talking to Daniel. And Daniel says to him now. King let me just say this to you. Repent. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That's what he's telling him. Repent. And put your trust in the king of kings, O king. Because you're just a little bitty tiny king. A speck on this earth that's going to be gone. Just dust in the wind. As Solomon would say. Or Kansas. Whichever one you want to give credit to. So that's what he's saying. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness. Show mercy. This is the same message that John the Baptist would give. If you've repented and put your trust in the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, you no longer have to do anything to make up for your sin. You no longer have to do anything to outweigh your bad deeds. Now, as a result of that, you should want to do these things. So Daniel's calling Nebuchadnezzar to a life change. Not by his willpower, but by trusting in the King of all kings. So Daniel gives him... This message, repent of self-reliance, repent of self-rule, submit to God as the ruler of this world and the ruler of your life. And it is the same message that we preach today. The message has never changed. God has never changed his message. It's the same. People have never changed. They're the same. You're the same. I'm the same as Nebuchadnezzar. Each one of us is. What is the application now of the punishment? Does this all come to pass or no? Well, verses 28 through the end of the chapter, let's, let's get that. All this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. Shocker. At the end of 12 months, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon and the king answered and said, And you shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and seven periods of time shall pass over you until you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. Immediately the word was fulfilled against Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from among men and ate grass like an ox, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hair grew as long as eagle's feathers, and his nails were like bird's claws. now let's take a look at this first of all in the application of the punishment and we'll get the last verses here in just a moment but you see in Nebuchadnezzar's boastful heart is not this great Babylon which I've built by my mighty power now Nebuchadnezzar according to verse 29 had been given a year to repent Daniel had given him a message of repentance King, you must you must turn from your pride. You must turn from your arrogance, your self-reliance, your self-will, your, your self-rule. You must turn away from these things. Your heart must turn to God. And you must trust upon Him for your salvation. And then you must live that out. And be a different kind of king. Building the kingdom of, of Jesus rather than the, your own kingdom. You must do that. And Nebuchadnezzar had a year to think it over. Now then, how does he respond? Well, verse 29 tells us his response. When he says, is is not this great Babylon which I have built? The word I there is in the emphatic. Meaning, I myself have built. Or, I alone have built notice I my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty do you see that Nebuchadnezzar has not changed a bit not one bit as my dad used to say not one pop-eyed bit I do not know what that means some Appalachian language I've never been able to decode Now look at his beastly humiliation. Verse 33 says he was driven from among men and ate grass like an ox. And, no, and notice that this is, he, he's going to live this way for seven years. He's going to live out in the forest and out in the field for seven years. Till he knows that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will and he ate grass his body was wet due to having his hair grew as long as eagles you know he had dreadlocks right his nails were like bird's claws the mighty king out in the field like an animal now I do not know if this is exactly what Nebuchadnezzar was suffering from but lycanthropy is a psychological phenomenon which a person believes himself to be an animal and the word literally means man." and you can see that the myth of the werewolf lichen came from this phenomenon in Nebuchadnezzar's case he acted like an ox or like a cow like a buffalo the point of this was to humble him Why did God take Nebuchadnezzar's sanity away? That's what God does here. Do do you realize that each of us is walking along the precipice of sanity every day? It would take hardly anything for us to topple off. It is God in his gracious mercy that keeps us from falling off. And God preserves us. God alone. And with Nebuchadnezzar's case here, God just withdraws his protective hand, and Nebuchadnezzar goes insane. For seven years, this man who is the greatest ruler of the world has ever seen. Maybe an old story like Howard Hughes. This man was one of the wealthiest men in the world. They would find him walking the road. His nails had not been cut in months. He had not bathed. He wouldn't even go to the bathroom in the normal way. A man who owned everything but lost his sanity. And God is showing Nebuchadnezzar, it doesn't take hardly anything, son. It takes hardly anything for me to humble a weak human being. And so God has done that. He says, this is going to keep on going, Nebuchadnezzar. Until, first of all, you see yourself rightly. You see, no human being can ever come to God until they first see themselves rightly. As long as we think we rule the world. As long as we think we rule our own lives. As long as we think we're nearly immortal. As long as we think that we're virtually infallible. As long as we continue to think that God really can't touch us because He's a long way off and I'm down here and I can do what I please and God has no say in the matter. As long as you keep living that way and you do not rightly see yourself as a fragile, small, miniature, minuscule, little human being no bigger than an ant to God. As long as you continue to see yourself as really big You will never rightly see God. You see for most of us the problem is this. God may be big to us but we're bigger. Or at the very least God's just a big version of us. And so we have no qualms with God because he's just like me. And so until a person sees themselves rightly. You see that same thing happening in the story of the prodigal son. He came to himself. We said that a few weeks back. He saw himself rightly. I'm in the pig trough eating pig slop. My father owns everything and here I am wallowing around with the pigs. The apostle Paul was the same way. Arrogant, educated, smart, a lawyer, Dr. Paul. And God humbled him. Let's see how mighty you are when you can't see. How about that? Nebuchadnezzar's case here, he had to see himself rightly. And until he saw himself rightly, he could never see God as God truly is. You know, we saw in chapter 3 Nebuchadnezzar saying things about God like he's a great God. The God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego is great. Daniel's God is a big God. I don't want anybody saying bad things about God now. You know, Yahweh God, I want everybody in the kingdom to add him to the group. Yahweh God made it into the God fraternity. Yay, Nebuchadnezzar. And that's his attitude. And God is like, no, you know what? I'm not going to be grouped. I'm a God is like no other being. Nebuchadnezzar, I control everything. And so, Nebuchadnezzar was a stubborn one, seven years. Did you know this bout of insanity from God was actually God being gracious? See, because what God is doing here is he's giving Nebuchadnezzar an opportunity Nebuchadnezzar, I'm giving you seven years. You don't have any responsibility. Just roam around the countryside like an animal. You don't have any responsibility. You just think about things for seven years. I'm going to spare your life for seven years. I'm going to give you this chance until you come to the place that you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men. And gives it to whom he will. Nebuchadnezzar, I'm gonna give you a chance to see the corruption of your own heart, how prideful, self focused, self willed, self determining you really are. I'm gonna give you a chance. And I'm gonna give you a chance to turn to me and bow to me in humility and be rescued from the punishment for your sinfulness. I'm gonna give you a chance in this world. To allow me to rescue you from the horror of hell in the next. This is God being gracious. Sometimes problems come into your life. Sometimes terrible things, awful things, hard things. And your first question is this. I don't know why. Why would God do this? Why? Let me tell you why God is being gracious. God is being gracious to you. Most of the time our hearts have wandered from God. I was reading just the other day this past week. In the second London Baptist Confession 1689. If you've never read any of that you probably ought to But It was saying that God in his providence allows hard things in the lives of his children. And even allows them to go plunging into sin. So that they may rediscover the fact that they are nothing without him. Nebuchadnezzar. Is coming face to face with his own weakness. His own humanness. His own fallibility. The fact that he's just a short-lived little bitty king. That will be forgotten. You see if Nebuchadnezzar had not turned to God here. We would have never thought about him today. See apart from being connected to God. Nebuchadnezzar is nobody. Now, look at his blessing of the Most High God. What's Nebuchadnezzar's response? At the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven. Now, where had Nebuchadnezzar been looking? See, before he'd been looking at himself in the mirror, hadn't he? Look what I've built. Look who I am. Look what I've done. But now he's down on all fours like an ox eating grass. See, I told you vegetarianism's of the devil. <laughs> told you. Lifted my eyes to heaven. Hey, those of you all that, are, that are vegan people, just cool it, okay? Y'all be picketing my house with your carrots and stuff. I just don't need it right now. Lifted my eyes to heaven. Love you. And my reason returned to me. Look, and my reason returned to me. And I blessed the Most High. That means like he praised him. And he praised and honored him who lives forever. And here's what he says. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion. And his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. He's including himself in that. What, what Really, what am I really worth compared to God? How big am I? Nothing, he says. And... Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven. For all his works are right and his ways are just. And those who walk in pride he is able to humble. The blessing. When his reason returned to him, he blessed the most high. Remember we have been thinking about blessing God. What does that mean? We're talking about praising him. We're not giving him anything that he needs we're giving Him praise. We're acknowledging, first of all, that God is God and we're not. Then we're also acknowledging the fact that He is great and we're not. We're not so great. We're also acknowledging this. He does according to His will. Let me just clue you in on something. There is nothing in this world that ever happens that's not His will. Do you understand that? Now, we can talk about decision, our decision, We can decide to do his revealed will or not do his will, right? That's, that's, but, but here, here's the thing. Even if I decide to not do what he desires for me or has commanded me to do, my disobedience will result in his will being fulfilled. Do you understand that? That's how that works. Now, you say, well, wait wait a minute, that's confusing. It's not confusing in this sense. God uses every means, every opportunity, it all fulfills His will. Well, then I can sin and fulfill God's will. No, you'll be doing against God's will, but He will use your disobedience in order to still accomplish His will. You can't outsmart God. In His wisdom, He uses our obedience and disobedience. Now, you're going to be held responsible. I'll be held responsible for my obedience or disobedience. Because God is just. God is righteous. God is holy. But don't think for a moment that somehow you can circumvent his divine eternal decree. And in some way alter it. And God's got to go running like he's going to put out a fire somewhere. It's not the way it works. He does his will. Get that. His will. He does have you gotten from this message, this is over and over again the book of Daniel. God is in charge. And it's not this situation where God permits, God decides. You see, if we were looking at it from the outside, and we'd say, who should be king of Babylon? Daniel or Nebuchadnezzar? We would all go say, we're all voting for Daniel. Not God. God says, I choose Nebuchadnezzar. Why? Because I have something I need to show the world about me. You see, we don't understand all these things. But it's the way God works. Nebuchadnezzar learned personal anarchy is not very wise in the sight of God. When you're going to declare your independence from God, it is not wise when you're going to declare that I'm in charge, I'm the captain of my own life, it's not very wise. God is going to show you either now or in eternity that you were mistaken. On June 8th in 2020, the Capitol Hill autonomous zone, known as CHAZ, was launched in Seattle, Washington. Many remember that. It was uh, supposed to be the self-governing, police-free utopia. The mayor called it a summer of love. No, it's not. That was Woodstock. What's wrong with him? But what does it look like when people answer to no authority and declare anarchy? This is what your children want in your home, by the way. What's it look like? Well... At first, it seemed like a wonderful thing. I mean, community gardens were being planted. Workshops were being held. Music was being written. There were poetry groups that were constructing new poetry. Free food and medical supplies were distributed. Courtesy of the rest of us that work a job. So what's the outcome we have now? Do we have now a place where no police are needed and everyone gets along so perfectly well? And it's a society that we should admire and structure our society after. Right? That's what happened in Seattle, right? No, that's not what happened. By the end of June, there were murders, sexual assault, all forms of violence. What in the world happened to utopia? Couldn't be blamed on the police this time. Couldn't be blamed on, well, a white preacher like me either. I wasn't there. What happened? God's authority had been defied. You see, God has put the governing authorities in our lives as his ministers to keep law and order are they infallible? absolutely not but we have found this to be true it's not the police who calls crime it's people what do we find about CHAZ Capitol Hill Autonomous Zone what do we find out about it? the depravity of man the sinfulness is within us sin is not being caused by something outside of us that needs to be annihilated anarchy is within our own hearts and lives and if we don't have something formal to rebel against like the police or the government if we don't have that then we'll turn on our fellow man and rebel against him anytime he may Make a rule like, hey, this is my food and I don't want you to touch it. What do we do? I'm getting some of that. Nobody makes a rule for me. Don't you know? I'm Nebuchadnezzar. I'm autonomous. I get to do as I please. That's what utopia is. I do what I want to and the rest of you make sure that it goes well for me. That's what utopia really is. This experiment, I know as I watch it unfold, I'm like, I can fix that. Miss Debbie, I know some people from Alabama and Tennessee. We could have put that out in a minute. This experiment, though, it infuriated people. It did me. I thought it was stupid. And, And perhaps you're like me. You sat in front of the television from time to time and you're condemning this anarchy and this rebellion, which we should. However, would you consider this? In your own heart and life, that's what you look like to God. See, you and I have declared our own non-God zone. God, you stay out there in religion. Listen, God, here's what we'll do. I'm going to put you in a church building like it's a, a God nursing home. And I'll visit you on Sunday as I get time. Now, if something comes up, you will have to understand. And it's a great thing that they have you locked up there so you don't bother me when I can't come by but I'll be a nice person and drop by and visit you I might even bring you some popcorn or something to eat you know but the rest of the time stay out of my life God I'll let you know when you can come in you can only come in when I need something otherwise if I need free food or medical supply, I'll I'll call on you but other than that this is a no God zone I don't want God in here my life my heart my affections My everything. It's it's me. I'm, I'm in the middle of this. Not you, God. This is a no God zone. I'm building a utopia here, God. And in my life, the utopia is I will be king. And I will decide what I do and what I don't do. It's very interesting to me that I talk with a number of people that would be vehemently opposed to what these people did at the Capitol Hill autonomous zone it's wrong how can they defy the authority in our land like that and so on and so forth and then when they're confronted to God they're like I don't want any of that right because see you have the same heart each of us do given an opportunity without God we do the same thing we want a life we can live however we please and not answer to him You see, Nebuchadnezzar was given a chance to see how spiritual anarchy really ends. It ends with a person being almost like an animal. Living by your instincts, living by the impulses of your life, living for mere survival with no purpose. That's what Nebuchadnezzar did. And now that we see his story, and we get to view it from this side of history, Now you know what spiritual anarchy looks like too. It is absolute insanity to resist the Lord God of heaven. Every person will either bow and worship to Jesus. Or bow as his conquered foe. What are you going to do with it? What are you going to do about that? See it's just back to that fundamental question. Who Will be king. Let's pray together, Father. Thank you in Jesus' name that you give us the truth. And Lord, how it confronts and disturbs our soul. Like Nebuchadnezzar, when we're confronted with these things, it creates such turmoil in our hearts and our lives. Lord, I do pray for those persons here today that have not surrendered to Jesus as Lord and Savior. They certainly would like to have the benefits of salvation in Him, but they do not want the Lordship of Christ over them. I pray, Father, and ask that You would help them to see that they're in a state of spiritual anarchy and rebellion against the King of Heaven. And if they do not repent and surrender to Jesus, wave the white flag then they will receive no mercy on the day of judgment Lord I ask you to make that clear and plain to them you did it for Nebuchadnezzar Lord may you do it for them as well I pray Father also for those who are your followers here today the followers of Jesus at present here great number of people ask you Father to help us to not let our emotions And our mind be disturbed, stirred, and shaken by the activity of men in this world. Help us to see and understand and know that those folks are in a state of spiritual anarchy. And the only hope for order in their lives is to turn to the one who orders all of the universe according to his will. Lord, I pray and ask... These things, in the name of Jesus, our Savior, amen and amen.